You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. I'm going to be, um, in some senses, uh, speaking about uh, a passage that for, for some will be quite familiar. Um, it's a passage in the Old Testament, in the book of Samuel. And um, Samuel is found... Uh, few books after the Genesis, so you start at Genesis and work forward. And uh, it's a, a, a passage where uh, there is a confrontation between the nation of Israel and their neighbours on the west called the Philistines. And uh, chapter 17 is about David and Goliath. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it's 50 verses, but I'm going to summarize it for you uh, in the sense that um, I'm just going to give you a few uh, headings um, and then I'm going to go into it in a bit more detail. So, as I mentioned, the uh, nation of Israel uh, is there and there's a thin strip of land that runs up between uh, Israel and the Mediterranean, and that's where the Philistines lived. And the Philistines were a fairly warlike people. They uh, traded because they were right on the Mediterranean. And this was the Iron Age. So um, they had iron weapons. They had iron chariots, which meant that they were far more um, uh, strong than your average wooden chariot. Uh, and so they had designs on the land that the Israelites had. Now, the Israelites, by and large, were a fairly rag-taggle bunch of people. They were Hebrew farmers, so they had pitchforks and they had hoes uh, and not, not a lot else. Um, and so in chapter 17, uh, we arrive at a confrontation and uh, there is a valley called the Valley of Ella, and in the bottom of the valley there is a dried up riverbed, and to the north of the valley are the armies of Israel, and uh, on the other side are the armies of Philistine, uh, of the Philistines. And the big problem for both sides is that uh, the Philistines have this nine-foot, nine-inch giant of a man called Goliath. So he's nearly three meters tall. Uh, it takes a man all their strength to carry this guy's shield for him. So you imagine he's got a huge sword. He's got this huge javelin. Uh, and what he does is every morning he walks down the side of the valley, stands in the bottom of the dried riverbed, and shouts out to the Israelites to take him on. Uh, and he does this in the evening as well. And he's done it for the last 40 days. And no one has taken him on. So let's find out what happens. So if we uh, look in chapter 17, if you've got your Bible, uh, verse 8 and 9 is where we're going to start. Uh, this is... Uh, Goliath shouting out to the nation of Israel. He says, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he's able with, to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. 
But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. So fast forward a couple of thousand years or more. Um, Ipswich are playing that team with the green and yellow shirts. And uh, one side is shouting across the pitch, if you think you're hard enough, come on over here. And that's basically what Goliath is doing. He's saying, you pick your top guy and you come down here and we'll have a little one-on-one -on -one fight and it's winner takes all. You know, we don't have to have a massive battle where thousands of people are killed. I'll represent the nation of Philistine. You send someone down to represent the nation of Israel and winner takes all. And when Goliath says, am I not a Philistine in that passage, what he's saying is the Hebrew translation can be translated as, am I not the Philistine? Am I not the baddest of bad Philistines that you've ever seen? I'm the man. So I'm the one you've got to beat if you want to move on in your journey. And uh, the problem is that there is no one that is prepared to uh, take him on. Verse 11 says that Saul, that's the king uh, of Israel, and all Israel were dismayed and terrified. And the reason they were dismayed and terrified is that Saul had disobeyed God and God had removed his Holy Spirit from Saul. So Saul was basically on his own. Uh, Saul, through God and through God's Holy Spirit, had won some amazing victories. But now Saul was on his own, and so he wasn't prepared to go and fight. Uh, neither was any of his men prepared to go and fight. So every morning and every evening, Saul uh, uh, would listen to Goliath sending out this challenge. And the, the, the issue here is the fact that not that this Goliath is nine foot nine inches tall and the people on the other side were much smaller. The issue here is about what the giant makes them feel. The problem isn't how big giants are. The problem is how small they make us feel. Okay, so here we've got a situation and uh, this is going on and it looks as if it's going to be uh, something that is, is, is never going to change because no one's prepared to take on the giants. So that's, that's the prologue, as it were, to, to this, this scenario that we're dealing with here. And then along comes David, the hero of the story, although he's not the hero at the time he comes along. At the time he comes along, the reason he's actually even on the battlefield, as it were, is because his father, Jesse, has sent him out to uh, Hebron to uh, basically be the errand boy. Um, he's tending his sheep in Bethlehem. His three oldest brothers are in the army, and his father, Jesse, wants a report on how things are going, and so he decides to send David with some food. And he sends him, uh, we read with uh, in verse 17, quite a hefty load of food. Five pounds of roasted grain, ten loaves of bread, ten cheeses, 
And it's 18 miles from Bethlehem to this valley of Ella where they are. And he runs all the way. And it's not running along roads. It's mountainous, rocky, it's hot. And he runs all the way. And he gets there just as Goliath is making his twice-a-day announcement. Uh, he's spouting the same old words as before. And David doesn't know the background to this. He's been tending his sheep in Bethlehem. And so he says, what's going on? What's this loudmouth doing? What's happening? And uh, the men of Israel in verse 25 tell him, they say this. They say, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So it's, it's not a bad deal, uh, if you think about it. Um, but actually, David's response is really important. In verse 26, he says this, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do you see what he says here? He says, this giant is defying the armies of the living God. He's not defying Saul's armies. He's not defying Israel's armies. He's defying the armies of the living God. He's the only one who's got things in perspective. He's the only one who is seeing this giant for who he is. He's the only one who the giant isn't making small because he's seeing it from God's perspective. Okay, Goliath isn't just defying Israel, he's defying God. And so he's basically saying, he's blocking God's way. Why are we standing here? Let's get him. And uh, he is someone who, on the face of it, cannot possibly beat Goliath. Goliath is nine foot nine inches tall. He is clothed from head to foot in bronze armor. He's got a nine foot shield. He's got a javelin that's got a five pound iron tip on it. He's indestructible. He's like the earliest version of a tank. And, uh, and David is just wearing ordinary clothes because he's a shepherd. And he's got a staff and he's got a sling. And that's it. So humanly speaking, this is an impossible situation. But David's perspective is looking down on the problem, not looking up at the problem. Um, we sing a song, don't we? If our God is for us, then who can be against us? And that's a great song in here. But when we go outside... Do we still sing it with the same encouragement and vigor and faith that we sing it in here? Because as far as David's concerned, if Goliath is in the way of God, and if God is for his people, then who can stand against him? And that's the principle that we face day in, day out. We will face giants of every shape and size in every circumstance of life. Uh, and it's how we deal with them that's really at the crux of this. And we can see how um, David's brothers deal with it. 
because when he says what's going on here, um, his brother Eliab says this to David. He says in verse 28, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. Now the problem with Eliab, there are two problems mainly with him. He's probably got more problems, but the first one is he's a bit of a plonker. And the second one is that as far as he's concerned, um, he can't stand the thought of his younger brother uh, doing something that he can't do himself. And in verse 29, David replies in the words of younger brothers everywhere. He says, what have I done now? What have I done now? But Saul finds out that this guy David is prepared to fight Goliath. And so he says, okay, um, you may be just a child, um, but uh, I can't see how you could possibly take on Goliath. And David says this in verse 34. He says, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him down and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And he says this, and this is a real test of faith. He says this, The Lord who delivered me from the poor of the lion and from the poor of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. So he's absolutely convinced that this giant is actually smaller than he is. Because he's not frightened of the giant. Because the only reason giants make us frightened is because they make us feel smaller than they are. And he's basically saying that every giant in his path is a giant in God's path. And God is much bigger than the giant. And so we have a situation here where this is something that is happening then. But actually, in our lives, as I mentioned earlier on, there are giants. There will be giants. Um, and these are giants that God puts there. Okay? This giant Goliath was put there by God so that uh, he could see what was going to happen. And Jesus, sorry, God puts giants in our way because he wants to see whether we're going to run or whether we're going to fight. And... He does it for another reason. It's to give us an opportunity to honour him. The reason it's an opportunity to honour him is because if we are successful against the giant, whatever the giant may represent in your life, if we are successful, it has to be God that does the business. It can't be us because we cannot do it on our own. That's why they're giants because they're bigger than us in the sense of size, and they're in our way, and we have to say, God, if you're for us, who can be against us? And so off he goes into battle. He's got his sling, and he's got his uh, staff. And as he goes down into the bed of this dried-up river, he picks up five smooth, round stones. And... Uh, it's thought that these stones were probably about the size of a tennis ball. 
So they were quite heavy. And uh, in the hands of an experienced sling thrower, they would be moving at something like 100 miles an hour. And so he goes down into this uh, valley. And you can imagine it. He's going down, and Goliath, as he's getting nearer, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the Philistines start laughing when they see David going down there. And um, someone else starts taking bets about how long it's going to be before David is in little bits all over the floor of this dried up riverbed. And then something happens which happens uh, in um, all kinds of events, battles, uh, sporting events. Something happens which um, in this day and age is called sledging. And it happens often in cricket apparently. And uh, I've got some examples which I couldn't possibly tell you because they're extremely rude about what cricketers say to each other to put each other off. Um, but I've picked on a nice, uh, simple one involving a great um, uh, Yorkshire um, fast bowler called Freddie Truman. Um, Freddie Truman was playing for England and um, he just uh, bowled out uh, an Australian batsman. And the next batsman came down the steps from the pavilion, opened the gate um, to get onto the cricket pitch. And Freddie Truman, in his Yorkshire uh, uh, accent, said, Don't shut it, lad, you won't be there very long. And that's an example of sledging, where you're trying to get inside the head of the other person. And this is exactly what Goliath does. He says in verse 44, he speaks directly to David and he says, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. So he's basically saying, I'm going to rip you limb from limb and I'm going to disperse your bits all over this dry uh, riverbed. And uh, David's response is important because it shows that he is not intimidated by this giant. It shows that he is not made to feel smaller than this giant. He says in verse 45 and 47, he says this, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, and cut off your head. Just pause there. Think about what David is carrying. He's carrying a staff and he's carrying a sling. The only person on this battlefield who has a sword is Goliath. And Goliath isn't going to give up that sword just because David has turned up. But David is convinced that he's going to strike him down and cut off his head. And he says this, I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So what I said to you was, why does God test us? One of the reasons is to see if we're going to run away or fight. And the other reason is so that we can honour him. And so what David is doing here is saying that... This day, all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Don't tell God how big your giants are. Tell your giants how big God is. That, would, that is Len's simple one-step giant slaying sentence. Don't tell God how big your giants are. Tell your giants how big God is. Amen? So what happens then? It says that David started to walk towards Goliath. He swung his uh, sling. The stone hit him in the forehead. He drops down dead. And uh, it says in verse 50, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David, so he took the sword and cut his head off. And then that encourages all of the Israelites to join in and the Philistine army is routed. And this David arrived in the morning as an errand boy with food for his brothers. But by the end of the day, because he told the giant how big his God was, the nation was saved and he was enshrined forever in history and endless Sunday schools have told the story uh, ever since. And there are a lot of parallels between David and Jesus. David is seen as a type of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, Jesse, David's father, sent him to the battlefield with some food for his brothers. And Jesus was sent by his father to us to be part of a completely different type of battle. And uh, just as Jesus remained, as it were, concealed, uh, not really fulfilling uh, his prime part of his ministry until he was in his 30s, so David is tending sheep near Bethlehem, and only on this day does he come uh, and he's sort of revealed for who he is. And uh, we've read how David was treated by his brothers. He came to his brothers and uh, they were extremely rude to him. And we know that when Jesus came, the son of David came, he was extremely badly treated. The Bible says that um, he came to his own and his own didn't receive him. And uh, David was moved by this intense love uh, for God and for his people. That's why he decided to do this. Uh, and Jesus was exactly the same. He had this righteous indignation about what was happening. And he was prepared to lay down his life for his sheep, which is something that uh, David was prepared to do many, many times. And so Goliath is called, um, in the Hebrew, not champion as we read it here, but in the Hebrew he's called the middleman. Another word for a middleman is a mediator. So Goliath is a mediator. So he basically says, um, you just have to deal with me. I will speak on behalf 
of the nation of Philistine. You don't have to deal with anyone else. You deal with me. I will represent uh, Philistia. And that's exactly what happened with David. He came down and represented the nation of Israel. And so it was with Jesus. He fought your battles. He fought my battles. And we know from reading the Bible, look at Genesis, there was a time when we had this great relationship with God, but we blew it. The first Adam blew it. And our salvation came through another mediator, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, as he's called. And just as David uh, rejected the weapons that Saul wanted to give him, he said, you know, take my armor, take my sword. And David said, no, no, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't fit at all. When Jesus came, people had all kinds of ideas about what he should do and how he should do it. He should get rid of the Romans. He should, uh, you know, become a new, new physical king. And uh, Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it another way. And we know how he did it. He went into battle with a weapon of his own choosing. He went into battle with the cross. David cut off Goliath's head with his own sword. And this cross was supposed to mean the death of Jesus. And actually, it became the death of sin because Jesus rose again. And uh, one of the best ways of uh, describing this was, 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 was made by one of the greatest preachers uh, of this or any other generation, a guy called Charles Spurgeon. Now, Ch Charles Spurgeon was a Victorian uh, preacher. By the time he was 22 or 23, he was preaching to 10, 15, 20,000 people in London uh, he was born in Kelverdon, which is not very far from here. He became a Christian in Colchester, and he was baptized in the River Lark at Isleham, which isn't a million miles away from here. And uh, when he uh, preached a sermon about uh, Jesus being a type of David, he explained this in terms of David cutting off uh, Goliath's head. He said this, Lo, this day I see in our conquering hero's hand, that's Jesus, the grisly head of the monster sin, dripping with gouts of gore. Look at it, all you who once were under its tyranny. Look at that terrible face of that hideous and gigantic tyrant. Your Lord has slain your foe. Your sins are dead. He has destroyed them. His own arm, single-handedly and alone, has destroyed your gigantic enemy. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So David cut off Goliath's head, 
Jesus has cut off the head of sin once and for all for everyone. So in a minute we're going to be breaking bread. So it's worth remembering what this is truly about. Because if you take out of this passage that actually this is all about uh, me being like David and I've got to fight my giants, then you're going to really struggle. But if you take from this passage, this is about really what Jesus has done for me, then you can fight those giants, not because you have to, but because the victory has already been won. The head is already off the giant. We just can't see it yet. And, the, and, and, and I, I want to just apply this to us. I want to ask you, in all seriousness, I'm not asking you to say out loud, but what qualifies for a giant in your life at the moment? There will certainly be some, um, and they may be external things like uh, job, relationship, uh, education, health. But actually, if you reduce it down, the external actually is just a reflection of the internal. And actually the giants, if I speak personally, uh, one of my giants is um, a fear of rejection because of my background, which I don't need to go into. So sometimes I would make a conscious decision not to do something because I don't want to be rejected. So I've lost before I've started. I haven't even tried to do it. I've lost because I've just said, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. And so our internal giants can be all kinds of things. They could be fear. They could be jealousy. They could be lust. Uh, they could be all kinds of horrible things like greed and anger and envy and fear of failure. They can be all kinds of things are internal giants. And actually, normally, internal giants defeat us far more quickly than external giants. Because it's in the mind where the battle is won and lost. If you've lost the battle up here, you're never going to win the battle out there. I guarantee it. So that's what this sledging thing's all about. It's getting inside someone's head so that they've lost before they've even started. And David said, I'm going to show this giant who's bigger. God is bigger than the giant. You know, they are by definition large and enormous and intimidating. That's why they're called giants. But actually, we don't see them like that. We see them as things that are standing in the way of God's wanting us to move forward in our life. So what, what qualifies as a giant in your life? And then let me pose another rhetorical question. Why do you think God puts giants in our path? Because it is God that does it, by the way. It is God that puts the giants in our path. Uh, if you read stories of um, wars, you find that people often say, uh, I went to war as a child and I came back as an adult. 
And that's one of the reasons why God puts giants in our path, because we will never grow up until we're prepared to face our giants. If we hide from our giants, they will be there every morning and every evening shouting, if you think you're hard enough, come on over here. And we're cowering behind our rocks saying, I can't face the giants. The giants won't go away, they'll always be there. Goliath was never going to leave on his own. He would only leave once he was defeated. And whenever we stand up to a giant in the name of Jesus, understanding that we have the Holy Spirit to help us, we've already won because the battle is in the mind. We've already won. So it sounds a bit strange for me to say this, but giants are absolutely essential for our spiritual growth. They're absolutely essential for our spiritual growth because God is the one who gets the glory when we overcome a giant. So I wonder what lesson do you suppose that God was trying to teach David? God was teaching David that faith in God was all that was needed. And I've, as I've read through this passage, I've often wondered, when did Goliath die? And so looking back, he might think, well, when his head was chopped off. Okay, maybe it wasn't then. Maybe it was when the stone hit him in the forehead. I think Goliath died the moment David took his first step towards him. At that point, he was just a dead man shouting because it was happening in the mind and David had decided that he was going to do this thing. Because it says in verse 40, it says, David picked up the stones and approached the Philistine. He won the victory with the first step that he took. The rest is history. There's a definition of faith that goes like this. Faith is belief plus unbelief, but acting on the belief bit. Because I don't think there are many people here who do not at any time ever have a single doubt about anything. We all have unbelief to some extent or another, but faith is acting on the belief bit. And David didn't know anything that no one else knew. Or let me express that another way. There was nothing that David knew that the whole nation didn't know. He knew, and the whole nation knew, that God was sovereign. They were the army of the Lord of hosts. They'd seen God do amazing things in the past. But the difference was, David acted on his belief... And they all acted on their unbelief and did nothing. That was fundamentally the difference. Faith isn't waiting for 100% assurance. Faith isn't, is, isn't waiting until all our doubts are gone. If you wait for that, then you're going to wait forever. Faith is seeing the giant, understanding the odds, believing that Jesus and God wants him dead, and taking that first step. 
That's what faith is. And at the moment you do that, your giant is a dead one. That's the reality of it. And that is the hardest thing. Faith isn't just talking about the giant, analysing the giant. Talk will never slay the giant. Steps to do it. Even if your knees are knocking, your heart is pounding, you can hardly breathe, there are tears in your eyes, taking the first step is all that's needed. And as this church moves on, we will individually and collectively be facing giants of all kinds of description. Uh, and they'll be different for each one of us. But I can tell you this, the only way to overcome them is in the mind by understanding who God is, what Jesus has done, that he has held up the head of sin. Sin is defeated. The law is defeated. Jesus is reigning. The giants are dead giants as far as God is concerned. And he's teaching us lessons of faith through us facing them. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.